everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Perspective Podcast. I am your host, Colin Barry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Anup Jadhav. Anup is a senior program architect at Salesforce. Anup, thanks very much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. Thanks, Colin. Uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Brilliant. And in today's conversation, myself and Anup are going to discuss the role of software architecture in the implementation process how C-level execs can leverage technical and business architecture, and the importance of having a change management strategy. Well, maybe to start with a note, could you give our listeners a bit of a background about yourself and how you became a senior program architect at Salesforce and the journey you've been on so far? Sure. So my Salesforce journey started all the way back in uh, 2008, 2009, when I was working as a Java developer for a billing and payments company. Um, they were using this uh, CRM application called Salesforce. And, and around that time, Salesforce launched Force.com, uh, their brand new uh, platform as a service offering. So my boss sent me on one of the first Dev 401 courses in the UK, where I first uh, uh, came across the power of Apex and Visual Force. Now, my background was Java, and I was used to enterprise applications taking months, if not years, to build and go live, you know, design, build, and go live. So I was uh, blown away when, when I understood what I could achieve on, uh, on the Salesforce platform within days or weeks. Um, I saw the potential of the technology and decided to learn more about Apex, Visual Force, and Salesforce in general in, in my own time. Uh, I switched from being a Java developer to becoming a Salesforce developer. Now, the, my career path after that, that was exclusively all Salesforce. I started as a developer, then became a tech lead, then architect. As an architect, um, uh, as, as I was working on different um, small, medium, large projects, uh, I had to also learn other clouds like Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, and Azure. Uh, you could say that I have depth of knowledge in almost all Salesforce clouds, but I can't even claim to do that now because there are so many clouds now. <laughs> yeah. But I do have breadth of knowledge on the other clouds like AWS, GCP, and Azure. Then I worked with a lot of consultancies. And more by chance, I think, than choice, I ended up working with a lot of uh, financial services and insurance customers. So I gained in-depth knowledge in those industries. And a few, a few years ago, I, I stumbled in onto a Velocity project, which gave me uh, exposure and experience of that solution and that ecosystem. And last year, I joined Salesforce as a senior program architect for Salesforce Industries, which is previously called Velocity. I couldn't be happier. It's a great company to work for. <laughs> Fantastic. That's really great. Uh, really great background and uh, congratulations on your journey so far. Thank and, you. And, and given your kind of vast experience working within the financial services, insurance and healthcare and life science companies and industries, um, you know, what are some of the key trends you're currently seeing at the moment, especially like since the start of the pandemic? Two words, digital transformation. I think it's, yeah. it's fair to say that COVID and the, and the pandemic that followed, uh, you know, disrupted operations that insurance carriers, you know, prompting an overnight shift to remote work and created a need to engage with customers, employees, and partners virtually, you know, remote, that the pandemic forced execs to shift their focus and bring forward their three to five year transformation plans. It also radically shifted consumer and employee needs, habits, and expectations. And that's that's one of the reasons that compelled these insurers to move all their operations online practically overnight. 
I think the amazing thing is that the insurance, uh, the, the industry adapted to this quote-unquote new normal. Um, and one of the key factors, at least in my opinion, that led them to successfully adapt is the investment they've been making um, over the years in their cloud infrastructure. Um, don't, don't get me wrong, I think they still have their work cut, cut out for them. And uh, according to a Deloitte survey, when I was researching for this, uh, many of the insurance execs agree that the pandemic showed how unprepared their business was to weather this economic storm. And according to that same survey, only 25% strongly agreed that they had a clear vision and action plan to maintain operational and financial resilience during the crisis. So uh, yeah, digital transformation in my view is a key trend. Now, what does that mean? It, it, it has several components. Some of them are well understood like cloud, cybersecurity with zero trust architecture, uh, you know, digitization and automation of business processes uh, using tools like RPA. Um, RPA stands for robotic process automation. There are other components that are more forward-looking and can be experimental. You know, the insurance industry, especially are looking at stuff like blockchain, um, AI, even cryptocurrencies being considered. I don't know if you know, but AXA Switzerland recently announced that they are accepting or they will be accepting premium payments in Bitcoins for all their non-life products, which I think yeah, is amazing. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and th there, there are other trends besides digital transformation, which I won't talk about right now, hmm. otherwise we'll be here all day. Uh, and one of the trends that I'm seeing is around climate and sustainability initiatives. Yeah. Uh, for example, Aviva has set itself a target of net zero carbon emissions by 2040. A number of providers are considering ESG risk factors when they are undertaking risk assessments during their underwriting process. But going back to digital transformation, I, I, I believe Salesforce, uh, which is which is what I know about most, is Salesforce is uniquely positioned to help insurance, health and life sciences, and also other industries to adapt and accelerate their transformation journey, especially uh, with their industry's cloud offering. Salesforce has the capability now to provide customer-centric solutions uh, so that these carriers are able to create more personalized member and employee experiences. Right, that's really interesting. Uh really interesting points you make there and open even with regards to you know corporate social responsibility i think that's something that is really um been highlighted uh, you know how important it is over the last year yeah. um and i think it's definitely moving forward something companies uh, are starting to take more seriously um so about yeah, time i would say <laughs> yeah definitely and i think given the week that's in it with uh, cop 26 happening over in in glasgow you know hopefully more companies take action and you know we can maybe hopefully start to <laughs> reverse some of the problems that we've caused uh, in the past so uh, you know that's really interesting yeah Thank and uh, could you talk to us a little bit about then the role of actually you know software architecture and the importance it plays in the implementation process um, yeah for salesforce good good, good question uh I, I like to use a metaphor to explain the importance of software um, or enterprise architecture and why it's needed. Now, I came across this metaphor in a uh, Salesforce Enterprise Architect program course uh, that I recently did, and I really liked it. 
Um, at this point, I think I should do a big shout out to uh, Divya Alavarthi, who works here at Salesforce and her team, who created the content for the Enterprise Architect course. Um, it is actually available in the partner, partner learning camp uh, today. Um, and I'd highly encourage all architects um, and aspiring architects to take that course. Um, there are other courses on there that's offered as part of the B2B and B2C Solution Architect Success Program. Anyway, that's out of the way. I think uh, let's go, let's go back to the metaphor. The let's say that you were given the unenviable task of designing and building a city, and you don't have a master plan. Uh, we all know the unintended consequences of cities and towns that grow really fast without a plan, right? They they have issues like addition of ad hoc roads. You have to deal with power outages, gridlocks, and they don't have common services like parks or schools. And I don't mean that they they won't have schools, but you know there, there might be inefficiencies. Some schools might be overallocated, and others might not have filled all their uh, seats. So they 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 the cities try to retrofit all of the needed infrastructure improvements, but it's very expensive and time-consuming. These additions are also inefficient and ad hoc. But if, in contrast, if you did have a master plan, if you had a master plan, you'd be smart in your design. You would consider creating common services like parks, schools, roads, electricity, grid, transports, etc. You would plan ahead for growth and change and upgrades that you may need as the as the city grows. Similarly, I think in the IT world, you could say that software or enterprise architecture lays the foundation of a software system and puts rules in place to prepare your organization for change and growth. Uh, it, it has to be a strategic approach to design and build your enterprise systems. And by strategic, I mean, um, here I mean that it must be tied to your business goals. I think this is... Uh, this is even more relevant if you're planning for or going through a digital transformation, like we mentioned before. True digital transformation is, uh, I'd say, more than just change changes in technology. You no, know, I mean, you know, yeah. if you're just changing the technology, that's just digital translation. Yeah. I think uh, true digital transformation changes how the business fundamentally operates. You know, businesses are complex and they have several challenges like siloed data. They're operating on legacy platforms, which is a huge problem, especially in the insurance industry. You have, you have so many legacy platforms. You have internal politics and the yeah. resulting lack of um, alignment across the company. So if you want to overcome these challenges, you, you need a connective tissue that creates that alignment across various teams and puts the focus square and center on the customer. And I think this is why you need software architecture. Don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's you know, I'd never heard that metaphor before, but it, it really, really it, explains it's, it's it. It's not yeah. mine. It, it, I, <laughs> I read about it there, but I really liked it, and I use it often now. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. And uh, yeah, I was just thinking in my head, you know, also having a sewage system. Uh, you know, planned out as well in that city. Yeah. It could, could leave you in the proverbial uh, SH1T. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good metaphor. And I'll, I'll also put a link uh, to the course that you mentioned at the start uh, in, the, in the description as well when, when this goes live. Oh, good, thanks. Uh, and then, so before kind of thinking about the systems and technologies to implement, how can, you know, C-level execs leverage technical and business architecture to achieve successful outcomes for their projects? Yeah, I think following on from what, what I said before, the it's important that the execs um, 
understand that technical architecture or enterprise architecture is not just about technology and business architecture is not just about business process i think and um secondly business architecture is not optional it should not be overlooked i would say it's almost as valuable if not more as enterprise or technical architecture if the solution is technology led then you risk uh, run the risk of um, building a solution that is not customer centric um at least in my view business architecture is a key enabler for technical architecture uh, i'd go go as far as to say that uh, business architecture is a foundational component uh what what does that mean in practice in practice it means that the scope and the strategies are clearly defined from a business perspective first and only then from an it perspective uh you would I'm, at least from experience i've seen a reverse of this right uh, when it's it led and most of the large digital transformations seem to be it led it's like technology first platform first rather than what is the actual requirement how does this benefit the 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 customer yeah. business architect is the bridge between that strategy and execution i think it defines the what and the why uh, businesses need to transform and uh, especially the kind of outcomes they need to achieve um it I, it's also a great tool for organizational alignment that we talked about before because it ensures that you've engaged with the business stakeholders before creating the technical architecture yeah that's that's very interesting and following on from some of those points as well then kind of what are some of the common issues that prevent these organizations from becoming you know truly digital enterprises um a couple yeah a couple come to mind i think the first one i would say and so i've mentioned this before is confusing digital transformation with digital translation when you're doing just digital translation you're just taking the existing process or experience and making them digital or online without any or very little thought to customer employee or partner experience right but in contrast digital transformation requires changing not just the technology but also your operating model so that everything you do uh from technology business processes change management is all customer centric the second uh, issue is uh, you, you know you're not being customer centric enough if you don't put the customer yeah. at the center of everything yeah you do you would end up creating systems and processes that won't serve the constantly changing needs of the customer and things are changing constantly you know thing uh, today that there is so much happening out there in terms of how customers interact with technology um and what they expect from companies uh in terms of the service mm. and finally i think the the third common issue is lack of alignment and this one is pernicious and unfortunately very common uh you could have a great team great talent and the perfect plan and architecture but without alignment people could end up implementing solutions that are um what i call the optimal at the local level team level but probably suboptimal at the organizational level where it really matters yeah or or even worse i think you know they might end up solving the wrong problem you know you spend yeah. all this time money and effort but you're not solving the right problem i think that's this is why I keep retreating this you need a business architecture you know that feeds into your enterprise architecture yeah 
and kind of like as a partner one area that you know a lot of uh, customers talk to us about is this idea of legacy code debt yeah um how can companies avoid this and you know what role does salesforce play uh, in this so the reality is that you can't avoid code debt you know no yeah. matter how hard you try you'd always end up with some technical debt the best thing you can do is manage this debt so with, with with Salesforce, it's easier to manage it than on other platforms. Admittedly, your uh, I know it's with Salesforce, your default position should always be config over code where possible. Um, but for any non-trivial implementation, you will eventually need to write some code in Apex or in JavaScript for Lightning Web components, and that's fine. I think you know in this case, my advice would be that you should actively track your config to code ratio and make sure that you don't have a code heavy implementation over time because what happens what i've seen in a lot of projects is especially if it's a greenfield project you have all these best practices and rules in place um, and all the governance in place to ensure that you are following the best practice but over time when uh, you go when you move outside of that project phase, uh, what I've seen is as part of maintenance, you don't uh, sometimes consider all of the consequences of your decisions and you know you go for the easiest or convenient option, which could be code. Mm-hmm. And you know you just have to be very vigilant. So uh, another another maintenance activity that you can perform is you could revisit your code implementation, you know, the stuff that you've implemented in the past in Apex or uh, JavaScript, but mostly Apex, and attempt to refactor it into a flow or something similar. You know, the, the, uh, I'm, I'm amazed by the innovation happening in the flows functionality. You know, every, yeah. every release they're releasing something new. The... The, the implementation team, the Salesforce implementation team at the customer or the partner should, should keep track of those new features being released and consider refactoring that existing code with the new config feature. Now, we all know this is easier said than done. Uh, you know, we are always looking forward, building the next user story or the project. And we don't get enough time to go back and revisit and refactor our current right. implementation. But it's, it is a strategy to tackle technical depth fantastic yeah no that makes complete sense and yeah if only we had more time (laughs) (laughs) exactly and uh one area i wanted to touch on before we kind of finish up uh which sometimes gets left behind or you know as an afterthought is change management and the processes surrounding it um you know i I believe you have quite a bit of experience in this so I'd, i'd love to get your thoughts on you know, when companies are developing new strategies or new systems and processes, you know, um, how can they go about uh, implementing change management and, you know, developing adoption strategies or methodologies? Yep. I think with change management, the trick is to have a a two-pronged strategy. So one is for adaptive changes. These are some of these small or gradual or iterative changes you know, that any company organization uh, undertakes when their processes evolve over time. And another strategy for transformational changes, which are uh, larger in scope and scale, like when you're launching a new product or a new line of business or something like that. But for both kinds, my advice would be to start the planning early on and not wait till the end, you know, like two weeks or two months before go live, which is what I've seen happen <laughs> in a lot of places. Um, 
start by crafting a vision and a plan for that change as early as possible. Uh, it should include the strategic goals, uh, you know, which you can actually lift from the business architecture document if you have one. Uh, it should specify. In fact, I would say it must specify KPIs, um, key performance indicators. How will the success be measured? What metrics yeah. do we care about? The third thing uh, is nominate change champions. So rather than trying to do everything yourselves, you can you, you can distribute the the load of change management or the um, the work of change management by nominating change champions from business stakeholders. So these are the stakeholders who will oversee the task of implementing change. A good side effect of this is when people are given the accountability for that change, they are more interested and incentivized to then make that change happen. Yeah. And I, I think you should spend a lot of time in this planning stage. It's, it's, it's very crucial. If, if you start without a proper plan uh, that has the outcomes and KPIs, if you don't have that, you won't know if your change management execution will work. Yeah. Because once you have the, uh, once the plan has been created, I think all you have to do is execute it. You know, just follow the steps outlined in there. It's much yeah. easier than trying to uh, react to the changes. But also, once the change initiative has been completed, uh, it helps that if the change managers are vigilant and ensure that people don't revert back to the to the prior state or status quo. You know, we are as human beings, we are resistant to change and we have the tendency to slide back into the old way of doing things, especially yeah. during the transition period. And I think the change managers should be vigilant uh, and look out for this behavior and ensure that people are following the new process or the change process. Yeah, I love that idea of having the outcomes and the KPIs, you know, in the pre-plan. And so, you know, it's not something... Well, it, it kind of puts the onuses back on the client to also think about what they want to get out of it. Exactly. Because uh, sometimes, you know, projects just start and there's no clear kind of, you know, what is the outcome here? Um, so, yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah, it, it also makes it explicit. Uh, what does success look like? Yeah. Right. Uh, what are we trying to achieve? Is it increase in productivity? Is it reduction in cost? Whatever that is, it, it, it has to be tracked somehow. And if it's not exact or yeah. accurate, if you have a number that you can um, measure or track, it becomes much more easier. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Yeah, no, well, I, that's all the questions I have for you today. Um, you know, is there anything like you'd like to add or um, you know, is there anything you want to finish with? No, thanks. Thanks, Colin. Thanks for inviting me uh, again. Uh, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, brilliant. And I've really enjoyed our conversation today and just want to say thanks again for joining us on The Perspective. Um, you know, you've provided some really great insights there. So thanks so much for that. And uh, I just want to say thanks to all the listeners for tuning in. And I look forward to talking to you again soon on the next episode of The Perspective. Thanks again, Anup. Thank you. Thank you.